Welcome everyone to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you'll find stimulating conversations that explore diverse topics and stories impacting our communities. I'm your host, Rasha Goel, and joining me today is our special guest. Jason is a rapper, activist, and educator. He speaks hope and healing in a hurting world, blending high-energy performances with thoughtfully crafted lyricism. As an Asian-American kid in suburban Delaware, he found a vocabulary for racial identity and liberation in rap music and hip-hop culture. Starting out freestyling with friends at school, he began recording and performing music in college. He has toured extensively and brings a social and historical consciousness to stages and classrooms around the country and globally, and I'm so excited to talk about that. What I'm so fascinated about is Jason was a 2022 artist at Work Fellow at the Japanese American National Museum. He's also presented at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. and curated at the Los Angeles Department of Cultural Affairs virtual exhibitions. He had two over there. His music has been heard on Kung Fu, Warrior, Tetris Beat, Snowpiercer, and Wu Assassins. Jason has also been featured in the Chinese American Museum of Los Angeles and presented at the Getty Center, Flushing Town Hall, and the Nate Holden Performing Arts Center. Oh my God, you know, this is so exciting because so many prestigious places here where you're able to share part of you and our community and the culture. As an expert on Asian American identity and hip hop culture, he has spoken and led workshops at colleges, conferences, community centers, and beyond. He is also a contributor to the St. James Encyclopedia of Hip-Hop Culture. Jason, it is such a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Rasha. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm going to start off just asking you off the back, what does it mean to be Asian and Pacific, uh, an Asian and Pacific American voice in the community? Yeah, I, I think about this a lot, obviously, uh, with all the work that I do. Um, and I think that I've been really fortunate to receive mentorship from a lot of folks who've been in the Asian American movement since its inception, since the 60s, 70s. You know, my, my mentors are folks like Diane Ujie, um, or uh, I've learned from Warren Furutani, these folks who were there at the inception of the pan-ethnic Asian American movement. And I think that what a lot of folks have sort of forgotten or, or what people have lost sight of uh, in the intervening decades is that being an Asian American voice or an Asian American Pacific Islander community member, it's not just this sort of racial descriptor, right? It's not like, oh, we happen to be Asian and we happen to be here in America, so I guess we're Asian American. From its inception in 1968, right, Asian American and then AP, AAPI or APIA identity was a chosen descriptor. Right? It was a choice to belong consciously to a movement that was advocating for self-determined liberation of third world folks, people with their roots in spaces that were impacted by American imperialism. And so for me these days, I take you know, very seriously and part of my foundations of the work that I create is consciously placing myself in that lineage of this struggle against imperialism and struggle against sort of racial uh, hierarchization that has been taking place since the 60s and 70s and before. And that's why I'm super proud to be, you know, in Asian Pacific voice, not just because I happen to have heritage or a bloodline that traces its way back, but because it's, it's this sort of conscious decision to be creating and to be speaking 
from a place, not, not only my social location, but this social imagination of what it can look like for our communities to work together for these, these shared goals and needs that we have. I, you know, in, just in hearing you, I just love the fact that you're so consciously aware of that and that that kind of overplays into your music and your creation. Uh, there was something on your website that caught my eye a lot was speaking hope and healing in a broken world. I, I don't know when I read that. It just really, it really touched my heart and impacted me. Um, along those lines, what would you, what would you say is the relationship then between Asian Americans and the rap and hip hop culture? Yeah, I think that's such a great uh, question and something I speak very passionately about because what what I've noticed uh, recently are these questions and, and, and healthy questions right around cultural appropriation. But I think that the issue is that they often come from a very superficial reading of culture. You know what I'm saying? Where cultural the conversation around cultural appropriation has often become more you don't look like you belong you don't look like you should be allowed to do this thing right it's taking these sort of neoliberal ideals around identity labels and descriptors and applying them onto people regardless of their actual life histories their actual community connections um i always turn my my, my academic mentor put me onto uh vj prashad Right? So Prashad is a Marxist scholar who writes about culture and writes about cultural interface. And one thing that Prashad points out is that uh, it's important to move beyond the idea of culture as static and sessile. Right? So I think a lot of well-intentioned folks come at these cultural conversations from a multicultural lens which says that, hey, we all bring our cultures to the table and we sit at the table and we can learn from each other. But what a multiculturalist perspective on, on culture and on community disregards is that as communities sit at the table together, they learn from each other, they impact each other, they even change each other. So for example, right, in the last few years, we've had, uh, taking a, a really prominent example, people have have targeted Aquafina for saying that she speaks with a black scent, right? For saying, oh, she's trying to be black. But dog, if you know any Chinese girl or any Korean girl who grew up in Flushing, who grew up in any of the outer boroughs in New York, everyone speaks like that. And placing the blame on her for acting how she was shaped by her environment is actually creating an individualistic is placing the blame on the individual rather than on the system that threw together marginalized folks under you know uh impoverished folks and and threw them into the same communities and neighborhoods and and situations and, and so creating stereotypes then right and basically of this this community should look like or behave like exactly right it's so so okay so if you don't want aquafina to speak how do you want her to speak do you want her to speak white would she be more authentically asian would she be more herself if she spoke would you want her to speak with you know a chinese or korean accent what would satisfy you to make you feel like oh she's not 
copying from black culture. Like, because from my understanding, the way I grew up was always, we are supposed to be impacted by the people around us. You know what I'm saying? The, the black and white and other non-Asian folks that I grew up around, they came to my household and they learned things from my family. They, they were changed and shaped by that. And that impacts how they go through the world. So especially as someone who's been in hip hop culture for decades now, who makes a living off of, you know, rap music and, and hip hop culture, it's super important for me to embrace Vijay Prashad's vision of polyculturalism, which he distinguishes from multiculturalism by saying that polyculturalism means that each of us carry within ourselves multiple cultural identities, right? It's not a reductive vision. It's not like, oh, I'm Chinese American. So that means I'm Chinese. And that means that anything authentic I do must be Chinese and anything else that doesn't have its roots 5,000 years ago in, you know, the the area that we now call China is inauthentic and that's copying and appropriative. I think that is so fascinating, Jason. Sorry, no, thanks no, for throwing please. that. That is so fascinating to me, especially as an Indian American woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very thought provoking. I think it is important to both acknowledge that hip hop culture and rap music has its roots in black and brown communities, you know, in the South Bronx in, you know, 1973. Hip hop is turning 50 in August. And it's super important to acknowledge the communities and cultures that it originally drew inspiration from. While also acknowledging that Asian Americans have played such a role in hip hop culture for much of that 50 years. You know, if you look back at Two Live Crew or at Beastie Boys with Mixmaster Mike, if you look at the Bay Area, if you look at Houston, you know, so much of hip hop culture has included folks of Asian American uh, descent or of Asian descent and Pacific Islander descent, certainly in Los Angeles. And really, actually, I believe that when people say, oh, you know, Asian Americans in hip hop culture by default, just by existing with that racial identity in that space, you're being appropriative. That's actually really just perpetuating the model minority myth, right? Because really fundamentally what that's saying, because hip hop is hood music. You know what I'm saying? What it comes from, hip hop comes from the streets. Hip hop comes from everything that is countercultural, that is non-systemic, uh, that is anti-authoritarian. And I think a lot of the critiques levied at Asian Americans in hip hop really come from a place of saying, y'all don't suffer like this. Y'all aren't in the hood like this. Y'all don't understand gangs or street culture or poverty. So how could you authentically participate? And really what a lot of those perspectives and critiques are betraying is just a colonized mentality around Asian bodies, communities, and histories. Because if you know the Vietnamese story, the Lao story, the Mien story, the Khmer story, you know, the, the story of so many um, Chinese immigrants who came over poor, the story of the Japanese Americans incarcerated, then you start realizing that, I mean, not, not to mention, of course, South Asian communities in Detroit and across the Midwest, there's so many ways that our communities have been co-marginalized with other racial groups. But the imagination of Asians is really a dominant culture narrative of the model minority. And I think we need to problematize that and we need to say, and we need to call that out when these accusations are levied because otherwise you have this sort of Asian exceptionalism that's not historically accurate 
and it's actually a damaging narrative for our communities. Well, do you would you say then that's where we're falling short? Because I wanted to ask you about what representation means to you, and then in going along with that, is that where we're falling short, where these stories aren't fully being, I guess, dissected or really understood? Yeah. I th- so when it comes to representation. Um, obviously I'm super passionate about it. I work in media. We, you know, we both work in media. We know how important it is to see bodies that look like ours, but where I really want to have the conversation around representation is it's not enough just to have more ethnic names and individuals in front of or behind camera if it doesn't change the narratives, if all we're doing is perpetuating, right? You, that resonates. Don't check off the box. Don't check off the box. Yes. Right. And, and I, and I think that the big thing too, is that Asian Americans, we ourselves often don't know our narratives and that's not our fault. It's because we grow up in a school system that doesn't teach us. Right. I never learned about Bagasing Tins growing up. You're never going to hear about, you know, uh, Balbir Singh Sodi. You're never going to learn about Wong Kim Ark. You know, birthright citizenship came about because of a Chinese man. You're never going to learn about, you know, you, you, you learn about um, Plessy versus Ferguson, the, the landmark Supreme Court case about school segregation in the late 1800s. But you never learn about, um, there was actually a, another case that went to the Supreme Court out of San Francisco that was actually led by a Chinese family seeking to desegregate the San Francisco school district against Chinese and allow Chinese to attend white schools. You're never going to learn about that because we're not taught it. And so how can we represent a community and its full historical riches of narrative and story and archetype and and role models if we don't know it. So we're caught in this catch-22, and that's why recently I've become much, much more passionate and forward about embracing this sort of historical educational lens, this, this revolutionary historical lens, because over the course of the pandemic, right, I saw a lot of folks in the Asian American Pacific Islander community start really, really waking up to the reality of the need for racial justice, right? The movement for black lives, uh, stop Asian hate, all of this is going on. But something that I saw that, that, that saddened me was that a lot of folks had this narrative, especially younger people had this narrative of, oh, of almost apologizing for the Asian community, apologizing and saying, we haven't spoken up yet. We've been quiet for too long. We've been silent for too long. You know, it's time for us to finally join the movement for racial justice. And that saddens me so deeply because if you know your revolutionary Asian American history, you know that it was never true that Asians were silent. We were suing the government. We have figures like Grace Lee Boggs, like Yuri Kochiyama, like Larry Itliong, like Frank Wu, like um, Corky Lee. There's all of these ancestors who've been working and fighting for 170 years. Ever since Asians arrived in this country, we started making problems. And we have stopped 
we, we, we don't have access to that history. And so we have, yeah, we, we have what uh, uh, Filipino-American scholar EJR David calls an internal colonial mentality where the stories, the, the stereotypes have been repeated so often to us by society that we start believing them. And, and to me, representation has to start there. Before you can show up on camera and represent, or before you can show up in the writer's room and represent, do you even know what you're representing? Or are you actually just, you know, another mouthpiece for the status quo, just simply in a different body? Oh, I love that you said that, Jason. I think that's so imperative. And again, it goes back to having the education and awareness. And I know we're going to have a few minutes. My gosh, I could keep talking to you about this. I think we're going to have to do coffee or something. I would love uh, that. Because this is a really integral conversation that needs to, I think, especially be had during Oppie Month, at least to, you know, be showcased even more. I want to talk about your music. I went and listened to some of your singles and I saw the albums and each one just offers such a different piece of representation and even just you know because i i used to play the the viola so i'm kind of in tune to the instruments and the different things that are being used and i just i loved on some of the pieces how they would start off soft and then you'd have this build up with your rap so talk to me about a little bit about your music and again the inspiration behind maybe some of the pieces or what really gets you excited when you create yeah honestly these days what makes me most excited is just good music you know, it can be mellow, it can be up-tempo, but I'm super proud to have finally assembled a team of producers. Uh, I've got a, a gang of producers out here in LA. I've got three producers, including an engineer. And then I've got some producers I've been working with in New York. And what's... This is, this is the way that it's been these days, is I don't go in aiming to say, let me talk about this topic or let me write about this idea. These days, I feel like I'm so grounded in my identity. Finally, you know, after working through my whole 20s, going to therapy, doing my, my academic studies and my activist studies, I'm finally at a place where I know who I am. So anytime I show up, anytime I show up to write or to perform or to record, I know who I am. And these days, I'm getting super inspired just by being around people who are super talented and are creating dope things for an audience. So we just go in, we've been working on a new album that's coming out later this year and just listening to the music that my producers are making. And when I catch a vibe, just trusting that I'll show up as my full self. You know, when I was younger, there was definitely some sort of fantasy and projection in the music, right? It's aspirational music. Um, and these days, I'd say I'm making more experienced music. Instead of talking about what I want or who I want to be or where I'd like to go, I'm talking about who I am and where I am. And and I hope that that can be something that can feed and, and nurture an audience who wants to be in similar places or is at the same place or is going on the same journey. Jason, I absolutely love that. And I that, you know, that resonates with me so much too, because I think 
from what I'm observing um, as a Reiki healer as well, is that people are longing for that connection to themselves. And we're at this place where people are looking for something beyond what they've already experienced or this external world. So I think that is so beautiful to share. And really, I think the creativity comes from when you understand who you are, right? It's just, it's more felt, it's more authentic. And I think there's a bigger relation that another person from a different community or culture can really experience when they're listening to your art. That's what I realized. You know, I think, you know, I've, I've been going to these rap shows and, and, and freestyling with people and running around. And what I realized is people don't want, if, if, if I'm an Asian man trying to copy black culture, they don't need me because they already have black people doing that who are doing it more authentically and better than I can. But if I can show up, as an Asian man, knowing who I am, then that's something that they, they can't find somewhere else. That that's something that can only come from me and from our community, you know? And, and I realized that even if you feel like people don't necessarily love or have room for your identity, it's always better to show up as you. Because if you try to show up as someone else, they already got someone else. But if you show up as you, only you can bring that sauce to the mix. I have got about two minutes left here. In 30 seconds, can you do some type of a fun rap for us? Oh, yeah. So um, so we've been making this new album. It's called We Were the Seeds. And and this is a record. Uh, this is a verse from a record off there called uh, Kintsugi. I say, um, <clears throat> Kintsugi, I had to go broke to get my gold medal. I'm not special. God just outworks the devil. Test metal, the bezel is still. I'm still standing, air cushion my hills. I'm still rapping, afternoon's cat napping, multiple plane landings. Then I go off to tell tales. I talk story, got bops for top 40. That glory is still not mine, but I'm chill. I'm built by the blood and will that guy spilled. My sis sitting Yuji Ichioka office, that's real. What move needles won't raise my pulse. I came on boats so my people don't wave pop. Mm. Strange plots, I believe about half of them. I know what I love. I don't need a freaking algorithm. I'm still standing and all of my mans in them. Fruit from the trees, don't forget the ones that planted them. Oh, I love that, thank you. Can you give a shout out to our audiences here? <laughs> yeah, 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 what's up y'all? Thank you so much for, for listening. Yeah. Such a pleasure having our guest, Jason Chu, for joining me on today's show. Jason, where can people find you on social media, your website? Can you share that information with us? Yeah, everything is Jason Chu Music, Jason CHU Music. So if you're on Instagram, if you're on TikTok before they ban it, if you're on YouTube, if you're, you know, jasonchumusic.com, please follow reach out. I love to, to converse with any of y'all about these topics. Jason Chu music. I love it. Thank you. And to all of you who are listening, uh, we'd also love to hear from you, our valued listeners, about any suggestions that you might have for future guests or topics. And make sure that you subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our Asian and Pacific Islander communities with the voice through media arts. Now, if you'd like to support our program, please visit AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. I'm Rasha Goel once again, and thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking episode here on Asian Pacific Voices Radio. Take care, everyone, and I hope that you enjoyed our show today.